Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It's Friday, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week here on KYMN Radio. Public Policy This Week is dedicated to the honest and open discussion of public policy issues. Each week, we take a look at a specific policy subject, and we have guests on the show that are experts in their fields. We do our best to stay away from politics. Instead, we concentrate on research, on facts, and on the expertise of our guests to help us arrive at well-thought-out, comprehensive, integrated policy solutions to the shared challenges we face in society. Our program runs the gamut on policy subjects, from neighborhood concerns to municipal, state, and national-level issues. Everything is fair game. Our objective is civil, thoughtful dialogue about important public policy issues that convey ideas and solutions to move society forward. I'm Joe Moravchik, one of your hosts for this morning's show. The man sitting next to me is co-host Bruce Moreland. And we are joined in studio by former North Dakota Chief Information Officer Sean Riley. Sean was our guest in October of 2022 when he gave us an in-depth look at cybersecurity in today's increasingly cyber-connected world. We met him in Bloomington, Minnesota at the Cybersecurity Conference for that program. Sean has recently moved from the public sector back to the private sector, but is still based in North Dakota. He now works for a Bitcoin mining startup company called BitZero, which began operations in 2021. In addition to Bitcoin mining, BitZero will also be working on a possible replacement for the lithium-ion batteries, graphene battery technology, which has the ability to charge much faster than lithium-ion batteries and operate more efficiently in cold temperatures. There's also an environmental component important to BitZero's plans, renewable and en- renewable energy. BitZero will capture and reuse heat from its high-performance computing and data processing. We are going to learn about BitZero blockchain today, but the primary focus for today's program will be on cryptocurrencies. Sean Riley, it is great to have you back with us. Welcome to Public Policy this week on KYMN Radio. Thank you. Great to be here. Let's get into our interview, Sean. Um, first, talk with us about some of what you accomplished as CIO for the state of North Dakota during the six years that you were there and why you believed it was the right time to leave and join BitZero. Sure. So the state of North Dakota was just an amazing opportunity, and I am the kind of guy where I go where I can make an impact, and I've had that decision kind of my entire career you, if people want, they can go watch the TED Talk. I've done a few of them about kind of who I am and, and why I do that. But with the state of North Dakota, Governor Burgum really had this amazing belief that we could help people through the use of technology and that we can make the lives of people better through the use of technology. And that really attracted me to the role. And the governor and I had uh, really a very, very integrated thought process on that, that we could improve lives. So... Over those six years, we were able to do some really awesome things. So we were able to create uh, new education standards, computer science, cyber science, being able to deploy those for the entirety of the state, kindergarten through PhD. As far as I know, we're still the only state that has computer science and cyber science in all of our classrooms mm-hmm. across the entire state. Mm-hmm. So every everywhere, universities, uh, Montessori schools, public school, private school, native tribal schools, et cetera, et cetera, they're all able to share in that knowledge set, something that's critical in today's world. 
We were also able to redesign how services are delivered within government by unifying the services across the state of North Dakota, bringing together all of these different IT organizations from many, many, many different agencies, bring those together into one unified group that can act as a single enabler. Now, most folks, if you're from a, a corporate enterprise, you go, really? Why is, you know, why wouldn't you be that way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but state governments, governments are not that way. Governments are very, very independent in their agencies, and this, is, this was a huge step forward. We were also able to really change the story around cybersecurity. The state of North Dakota went from an organization that defended 800 devices with a team of three people to an organization that defends over a quarter million people every single day millions of devices and is the cornerstone organization to now 67 million Americans cyber defense on a daily basis. Hmm. So over a six year period of time, we just, we did a lot of transformation. We did a huge amount of change and that's just kind of the <laughs> snowflake on the tip of the iceberg. So, so now you're at bit zero. Tell us a little bit about what the company bit zero blockchain is, what your role is there and what some of the big objectives are for the company certainly cryptocurrency mining and graphing battery technology, but also the environmental component, renewable energy. Yeah, so when people saw that I had moved to, quote-unquote, a Bitcoin company, they're like, that's, that's not Sean, right? The folks that know me, they're going, that's, that's not normal and not what I would typically be doing. Uh, in it, there we go. Uh, we... We actually are not just a Bitcoin company. Uh, the media loves to be able to kind of focus on the Bitcoin aspect, but what we are is we are a zero carbon displacement organization. Mm -hmm. We are an organization that is using energy in new ways to be able to give us technology that can then feed people. Right? This is a very different aspect of the organization. Now, yes, we mine Bitcoin because it makes us operational dollars to be able to do the other things we need to be able to do. But we are changing how energy comes into data centers. It's zero carbon in. We're using the data centers, not just for Bitcoin, but for all sorts of different systems, anything that you use a data center for today. And the heat waste from that data center is then being pumped into agriculture. And our test site, as an example, we have a test site in Namskogen, Norway. That site is uh, about 18 megawatts today, which is a lot of power, right? That will right. run a lot of homes. But that site then is doing its normal data center jobs during the day. And the heat is then being captured and that heat in our in our test environments is going towards tomatoes and growing tomatoes. So you're sitting in Norway, a country that basically cannot grow tomatoes at all, is now able to do this in greenhouses because we're able to capture that heat. So it's really, BitZero is much more of an environmentally friendly organization that is using new energy technologies to rethink how data centers are applied to, again, be able to help feed the world. Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> Sorry, I read that uh, you guys acquired that Bitzer acquired, and you're going to be redeveloping the historic and retired Stanley R. Mickelson Safeguard Complex at Nakoma, North Dakota, which is commonly known as the Pyramid, um, an old Cold War anti-ballistic missile site central to our nuclear defense systems. Um, I, I've seen pictures of the inside, and I said that it looked like a missile silo where I used to serve, right. uh, especially the big doors that you can slam shut. Uh, but at the same time, I'm guessing that any computers that were left in there are old tube-type 
bit <laughs> or eight bit <laughs> computers that won't uh, help you with your data mining. Let's discuss the our primary topic for today. Then oh, you have a, you want to say something about that beautiful building? Oh, it, it it's an amazing site. Uh, so the pyramid the pyramid was built in 1975 mm-hmm. to be able to house the computer technology within the radar systems that were being used to detect incoming nuclear bombs. Uh, the site was a defensive site, had all kinds of missiles, had 48 different missile tubes there to be able to shoot back to destroy incoming missiles. Hmm. And, and it's one of these great stories. Uh, we, we could do a whole two, three hours just on the story of this, but very simply, the story was that in 1975, the U.S. military spent $6 billion to be able to build this location. It was operational for three days, and the Russians came to the table to sign the Stark Treaty and said, we can't compete with this. Hmm. So the reason the site was then shut down over the next 18 months was that the Russians signed the treaty that would stop nuclear proliferation. And it's one of these great stories where some people say, oh, there's a perfect example of government boondoggle. We spent $6 billion and it was shut down you know, 18 months later. On the other hand, we say we stopped nuclear proliferation for $6 billion. That's that's a deal. That's a big deal. So there's is just an amazing story to the site. It's an incredible location, and uh, we hope that uh, hope that people will look into that site and see more about it as we go on forward. Indeed, I've, I've, I have a long history of knowing what's going on in nuclear war because that was what my job was back then. So that's a, a little tidbit that I hadn't I hadn't heard about how what a role that played. All right, so let's discuss our primary topic for the day. Uh, cryptocurrencies. First of all, what is a cryptocurrency, and then how are they used? Awesome. So, so cryptocurrency. So this could be uh, the master's level course, or I'm, <laughs> we could go in for for a long time talking about what this really is. But let me let me step back. And if there's any IT people, technology people listening, they're all going to be shouting at their radio, going, "Hey, you forgot this, 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 this." <laughs> I don't want to make this a technical conversation. Let's make this simple for anybody out there listening. Cryptocurrency is simply the newest evolution of money. Very simply, right? What, how does that work, right? Cryptocurrency is using a mathematical formula to give you a number that can represent a dollar bill. And when you look at uh, all the different aspects of money over the years, so let me, let me give a little history lesson, right? So the very first time that we had money that we accept in the coin form was literally eight to 10,000 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. That money evolved, the type of metal evolved. Originally, tin was considered more valuable than gold, and then silver was more valuable than gold, and then gold became the one that was considered the most valuable, and it became more or less the relative standard for a long, long time. All the way up until the year 1720. 1720 was the first time a government in the world attempted to use paper instead of a metal coin. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of people said, this is stupid, I'm not doing that. In fact, in the United States, up until the 1880s, you still had states that would refuse paper money as legal tender. Mm-hmm. Right? So as 160 years later, you still had in, in this zone people who said no. Worldwide, it still went on a little further. Then you go from paper money 
into checks, right? And people would go, wow, this check is worth nothing because you're putting a number on it. But that became an acceptable thing. You get all the way up into 1948 when you get the first credit card. And how many people accepted those credit cards right out of the gates? Pretty much nobody, mm -hmm. right? From 1948 then, rolled forward. But by the 1980s, credit card was considered a prestigious thing. And here in the 2020s, everybody's got a credit card. And I probably have three of them in my pocket right now, right? We also have these other evolutions of money over time. This is really just the next evolution of how we use money. Now, there's all kinds of aspects to the technology that I could talk to, but there's terms that people want to know, right? They want to know... You know, what is a what is a coin? What is a token? What is a utility? What's a wallet? How do these things work? You know, an exchange, all these things. Now, they all have a relative equivalent in the physical financial world, but it's not exactly right. So if I said index fund in the financial world, uh, somebody who works in investments knows exactly what that is. If I said an index fund in the cryptocurrency world, it's a little different thing, and it's not really the same product. But when you think of like I've got a I've got a ten dollar bill in front of me right now I've got a prop on a radio show so everybody should do this bring your prop on the radio show but I've got a ten dollar bill in front of me right and when I hold this up to everybody in the room they all look at this and they go what's that worth you go ten dollars right they can recognize that instantly based on the numerical imprint on the piece of paper. And this exact same piece of paper can be printed with different things. It could be a one, it could be a 50, it could be a hundred, whatever. Cryptocurrency, when you're trading in cryptocurrency, can do the same thing, right? It can represent itself as a value. But in the cryptocurrency, you also use the serial number that comes on the bill. So when you look at that $10 bill, this one is a MF495, blah, 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 a whole bunch of numbers, right? That serial number then in cryptocurrency is also used to help track it, help verify it, and help to ensure that we know how it's created, where it's created, where it's going, etc. So from the standpoint of this money, right, again, new kind of money, it is mined. In the old world, we called mining. You go in a, you go in a hole, you got to pick, you pull out your metal. Today... It's mined by using mathematical calculations on a computer. The computer does the math, finds codes that match the right patterns, and those right patterns then are able to be turned into a coin. Right? And there's a whole bunch of verification with that. Now, in, in this model, we've actually been doing this for a very long time, right? Encryption work this way. We've been doing encryption since forever again. goes all the way back to Caesar. But encryption's gotten better and better and better, and it's done the same kind of thing. We've taken concepts of encryption and concepts of that mathematical process, and we've distributed it then against machines all over the world. So when you hear people talk about the distributed ledger, right, and the immutability, meaning it cannot be changed and those kind of things, mm -hmm. what we're doing is, is we're taking those mathematical processes and we're ensuring that they are rechecked by other systems, all over the world. And this is how you're able to move dollars around as a cryptocurrency all over the world into all sorts of different utilizations and all sorts of different things. But it, it's uh, a very complex process. But at the end of the day, cryptocurrency is just a new form of managing money, 
for our moving money, and it's using math to be able to do that instead of printing paper. The, the math that uh, is, the reason it's called cryptocurrency is because the math is that you are basically trying to find a key that will let you encrypt a file so that it has a certain number of leading zeros, if I remember correctly, or something like that. It has to have a signature that means that you've accidentally stumbled on the key. You've done National Security Agency, NSA-level <laughs> crypto work just to find that key. Is that uh, so that model is, is different per different blockchain. Okay. Um, so it's not exactly, it's not all leading zeros, as an example, right? So there are different ways to calculate that out. So when we, everybody's probably heard about Bitcoin. And when you hear cryptocurrency, they hear Bitcoin. Bitcoin has one method to be able to mine itself and understand its money in its cryptography model. Uh, when you get to like an Ethereum or an XRP or a Reaper or other, other products like that, they also have their own ways in which they do that. And they all have a little different flavor, a little different method in which they use to, to determine that valid nature. The, uh, I once traded two hours of my time in exchange for, as a mathematician. I helped somebody understand fast Fourier transforms and they gave me a hard drive. Yeah. And that's an example of barter. And when we moved from barter systems because it became inconvenient to have to carry around a bushel of wheat and trade it to somebody for a pound of meat that they had had to carry the cow around for a while, um, <clears throat> having coinage was useful. Uh, just this is a, a pop quiz. Does anybody remember why there are ridges on the edge of a quarter? It's because I, I see puzzled looks. This is, this is a story I remember learning. When the coin is valuable metal, you can scrape the valuable metal off of a lot of coins and basically get valuable metal without losing the coin value. So by putting ridges on there, you can't scrape the, the valuable metal off. Now, our current coins are like that paper bill. It only has value because the Fed has helped guarantee that a dollar bill will have a certain value. And so we have this other process in place. And we'll be talking about that some more. But that's an example of a fiat currency <laughs> where the government says you will believe that it's worth something because we'll manage the supply. Is the crypto mining designed to manage the supply of crypto coins in the same way that the Fed manages the flow of money? Uh, I would say not in the same way as the Fed, right? It's it's a very different way. So if we look at Bitcoin as an example, Bitcoin has an absolute volume. And that absolute volume, then you, you get into how many coins can be mined. And what happens is is that every so often, periodically, you get what's called a halving. Uh, but every so often, you get this process you go through that will increase the difficulty of mining the next group of coins right and when that happens you're changing how hard it is to be able to get the money out of the system mm -hmm. but you're also lengthening the amount of time it is to get to that very last coin right, right. so then that last coin will take forever for somebody out there to mine mm -hmm. but what this does is this this follows really when you think of it the, the different economic models out there if you're following know, Austrian economics, it's a, a production side or Keynesian, the supply side and consumption, et cetera, whichever, you've got a law of supply and demand. And in your law of supply and demand, you've created a very specific demand pool and a very specific supply pool. 
And now that's how Bitcoin works. Uh, not all the coins work exactly the same. Some of them can change their volumes. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in the aspect of storage of wealth, Bitcoin is really the, you know, the pinnacle of that environment, where it's the, the coin that sits above and beyond and is storing wealth because its mathematical model, its methodology for acquiring a new coin is, is very, very rigid, and it makes it so that we have very, very high predictability. The difference when you talk like the Fed, uh, well, how many new dollars have entered, entered the environment in the last 10 years in the United States or in Europe or anywhere? When you have a fiat government, that volume moves, right? Mm -hmm. And there are economic conditions in which that's necessary. I understand that, right, at a currency level. But that volume then creates inflationary aspects and deflationary aspects that changes the value of this this piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. This $10 piece of paper here for yep. those who can't see my prop. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the difference in this sense where Bitcoin is a, a locked supply and demand. And that's why you see the price of it went from, you know, back in 2008 at 10, 15 cents, 30 cents, 75 cents. Today it sits around $23,000. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you see a locked value that's increasing over time. Now, I saw in the paper or someplace that the difficulty level to mine new Bitcoin just was upped, just was just bumped this last Sunday. Um, who is making that, those kinds of decisions? Who's the equivalent of the Fed that kind of m keeps track of how many Bitcoins have been mined and how hard it is to get the next one? Yeah, Bitcoin is, is interesting in this sense. So there is no Fed. There's right. no centralized government, right? There's no central party that's making a decision here what you have is you end up having a consensus of all the folks who are mining right and they get a they get input to that consensus based on their their ability to mine and and what systems that they bring into the environment and it has created a a coin that has a very distinctive model uh it will not change that model quickly because it's consensus driven, but it does mean that it is a very, very reliable model. So it's it's something that moves forward that way through the consensus nature. Other coins, again, uh, there are there are other good coins. There are other really bad coins. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the S word here or not, but mm -hmm. uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but there's some of those coins are really bad, um, but. Yeah, Bitcoin is the one that uses this model along with a, a few others that are really, really solid, and it, and it makes it so it's an extraordinarily stable. So do the holders of Bitcoins, they're the consensus group for deciding how hard it is to get the next one? Well, it's a, it's a combination of holders and miners. And okay. So when you say holders, uh, you can hold a Bitcoin without ever having a mine. Mm -hmm. right? um, and you may never have systems that are part of the creation of a new coin. But you've got a combination of that because people tend to be both. So Okay. So I know how to use that $10 bill. <laughs> I know how to go down and buy a burger and fries. Um, how do I use a Bitcoin? What, <laughs> and what do I use it for? So right now, this is one of those great things that's really evolving in the market. So I talked about uh, the evolution of money over the years. So if you go back to 1720s, and you walked around with this piece of paper, people look at you and go, ah, no, All right? they wouldn't accept it. Uh, you get into the 1940s and 50s, 60s, when you're walking around with your credit card, 
you know, everybody's like, well, how do we do this, right? How do we verify? And mm. if you're old enough to remember the the machine, you stick the credit card in and <laughs> push this big thing across it, oh, right? Yeah. And you get these carbons yeah. off here, yeah. right? Uh, that was the method of verifying mm. the number, right? Before that, it was literally, it's a piece of paper and you just write down all the stuff. And before that, sometimes they'd call the bank, sometimes they just, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do this. But the most common way, like in the 1980s, when you're kind of getting out there, was the big slam-slam carbon thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, horribly inefficient, horribly ineffective. Took it 40 years to get to that point, and then it was another roughly 20 years before you're at a point where you actually have verification all the way through the system, where I can go in, I put my card through the machine at that time, slide it. Now now i got a chip that I push, put it in. But so you slide it through, and then it would do an electronic transaction all the way through. That evolution brings us to now cryptocurrency, right? So cryptocurrency today has all the advantages of the past learnings when it comes to transactions. So I can move a cryptocurrency anywhere in the world in moments, right? Uh, some of them in, in a matter of a fraction of a second. Some of them it takes a couple hours because of the nature of their network and how they're supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Today, when it comes to uh, how do I use my cryptocurrency, I would say most people, the vast majority of people, they're buying and holding, right? They're, they're, speculating. The word in, yeah, they're speculating. Um, and the word in the, in the world is called hodling. Right? It's because nobody could spell hold and they spelled it H-O-D-L and then it became a joke and now it's the actual term, hodling. <laughs> um, but hodling, right, you just, you're buying and you're hodling, you're holding your, your tokens. I have used tokens of different sorts, different cryptos to be able to pay for certain things. Uh, you can, in some cases, for gaming, there's all kinds of different applications that take certain tokens for processing your game. So you could go out and play your game and, hey, I want to buy this you know, cool new shirt for this character kind of thing. You pay for it in a particular cryptocurrency. You've got other things that you can do directly with banks. There's actually states now that accept, like Wyoming, that accepts Bitcoin for paying taxes. Uh, there are states, there's nations out there uh, now that accept Bitcoin as legal tender. Now, those things are all shifting, and the way in which you do that, sometimes it's just an app on your phone. Sometimes it's a little more complicated, uh, but it's definitely evolving. So I would say if you, if you paralleled where we are for the payment and processing of cryptocurrency today, it's very much like we were in the 1980s with the big slamming thing to get the carbon for the credit card. Mm -hmm. It's not clean yet. It's not super easy yet, but it's definitely going the right way. It's interesting how far we've gone. I'm looking around the room, and I'm guessing that we all remember when a dollar would have a little statement that said you could exchange it for silver. It's called yeah. a silver certificate, yeah. and that was how we developed trust in paper. Was but the government was guaranteeing that you could take them in and turn them into, and it used to be you could turn them in for gold at thirty-five dollars an ounce. Uh, and then we went off the gold standard in thirty-three, and then we went off the international gold standard in seventy-one, and now. It's all faith and what do we call it? Faith uh, of the U.S. government or something like Full that? Full faith and credit. Full, Full faith, faith and credit. credit. There yeah. we go. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the lawyer would know that one. <laughs> right. All right. Anyway, um, let me see. 
We were going to ask about it, uh, some of the other cryptocurrencies that are out there, like Ethereum. Yes, and other, yeah, uh, Ethereum was something you brought up. <coughs> I'd like to know what that is, too. Sure. So, so there's a collection of different cryptos out there. And where there is a ton of confusion and why this gets to be so hard is that people, people are always trying to compare one thing to something else that they understand. Right? They're trying to say, compare something they don't understand to something they do understand and in that sense be able to say, hey, it equals this roughly. Uh, cryptocurrency is really hard in this case because some people will compare it to money, so paper dollar. Some people will compare it to gold and silver. Mm -hmm. Some people will compare it to artwork, which sounds interesting. We'll talk to that in a second. Uh, they'll compare it to uh, just a database technology. They'll, com they'll compare it to all these things. And the reality is, is they're not wrong, probably in any of those instances, because crypto can be all these different things. So there are different types of crypto coins or tokens that have been created to be all sorts of different aspects. You know, so Bitcoin, I think the the closest you would say is it is a store of wealth, right? In store of wealth in the old old school silver certificate, gold certificate, money standard on metal aspect store of wealth mm -hmm. is probably the closest. When you get to Ethereum, Ethereum is intended to be a different set of tools, right? It is intended to be useful to be able to do other things outside of that store of wealth. And some people use it as a store of wealth, but it is more flexible mm. in other aspects that it's used for. Now, uh, there's other majorly popular tools out there, like one is called Tether or USDC. Those are pegged to the US dollar so that they're always the exact same value, right? And the purpose of those is so that you can use a dollar to transact in those coins. So those are not ones anybody's ever buying to speculate on, right? Because they stay the exact same value. You know, that's one type. You also have uh, systems out there like the Reaper or um, Ascension token or the ARC token, where the Reaper is intended to be a token specifically to help uh, create the elimination of debt, right? So you get rid of debt by owning this token, right? The Ascension token is kind of like an index fund. Right. Then you've got the ARC token, and the ARC token is really it's a not-for-profit helping to do good things for humanity token. Right. So they all have different purposes. Hmm. They're built a little differently. They can be on what's called a different blockchain. And I can't believe we've gotten this far in, and I haven't said yeah, that's Yeah, that's next. Right, yep. that's next. <laughs> right after our station break, yep. we'll do this. Um, but but they, they can sit in different types of blockchains with different utilizations and different purposes. For our audience, you're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, broadcasting from beautiful and cold downtown Northfield. I'm Joe Moravchik, and my co-host is Bruce Moreland. We are talking with Sean Riley in studio today, former Chief Information Officer for the state of North Dakota. Now he's with BitZero Blockchain, a cryptocurrency mining company, among other things. Let's talk about blockchain. Sean, what is blockchain? What is cryptocurrency's relationship to blockchain? Yeah, so again, again, when I explain this, all the technical people will go nuts out there. But for, for the normal folks who just want to learn here, let me, let me put it this way. 
The road you drive on is blockchain. The cars, the trucks, the buses, the semis are different types of tokens. And those tokens might be a cryptocurrency or they might be used for something else in the blockchain. Now, blockchain is really, it's a model, a methodology of being able to align data and ensure data has uh, incredibly high integrity, right? Meaning we want to make sure this data is absolutely correct. Now, blockchain, what they're doing is, is we're using that same model as, as all of these different systems to do mathematical models to be able to ensure that we know where a transaction has happened. And in, in the oldest of sense, you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, right? The Sumerians had a stone tablet, and they would take a brass tool, and they would chip into that to make a ledger and say, yeah. you owe X one goat, right? Or he owes me three bananas, whatever it is, right? <laughs> and it was a ledger. In reality, that's really what blockchain is today. It's a ledger. What we're doing is, though, is that transaction is able to be distributed around the world and to be able to be agreed upon around the world in the same, same manner as the cryptocurrency. It's using that same technology. That agreement then makes it immutable, meaning the blockchain, once something's there, once that record is captured, can no longer be changed. Mm. Right? And there's other really huge advantages to that. Now what can we use this for, right? So everybody knows the road you drive on it, it takes you from place to place. Great, awesome. What does the blockchain help you do? So when it comes to a blockchain, I can record transactions from environment to environment in perpetuity and have an amazing ability to be able to audit that. So let me give me some practical examples, some stuff people can wrap their head around. So in North Dakota, there is a seed grower who is working with Japan on soybean production, right? And they make, they make hundreds of thousands of bushels of soybeans per year that goes to Japan. And Japan has food laws that are very strict around the origination of the food. So they are very, very interested in where does my food come from, what path did my food take, etc. right? So this grower in North Dakota is using a blockchain system to be able to track literally at the seed level, the seed, that single seed goes in the dirt, which seed it is, when it went down, where it went, which tractor put it in the ground. As it grows, they're able to track that again with blockchain to be able to determine the harvesting of the seeds from that, that plant, what bushel it is associated with, where it goes into the processing center, what train it goes onto, what boat it goes onto, ultimately what food to product it's turned into on the back end at, in Japan. And then what will happen is is a Japanese customer will go up in, in the grocery store, pick up the product, click a picture with their phone off the thing, and it will give them a full entitled map on their phone of where that seed came from. And that's... You know, it's it's super, super, super powerful for logistics and for the tracking of inventory, for the management of financials, all of those kind of things. And that's where blockchain is just uh, a super transformative technology. Are there more than one blockchain? Yes. So there are many, many blockchains. And the blockchains that people know 
they give the cryptocurrency names, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, those are the ones that people know because they know the coin that sits on top of it. But those, those blockchains can be used for multiple things. So in, in some of my work in the past, we've used the Ethereum blockchain to process information. No, so we had a token running on it that is not Ethereum, the cryptocurrency. It's Ethereum as a utility, right? So there's no money involved in this at all. This is, doesn't have value, but it helps us transact. And the purpose for this was land grants, right? So we were able to track land grants and land ownership information that goes all the way back before North Dakota was a state, when it was still a territory and it was property that was then issued under territorial law. So those are the kind of things you're able to do this. And each of these different blockchains has different advantages, has different disadvantages. Some are very power intensive. Some are very uh, speed focused. Some of them are very processing focused. And you, as a, as a technologist, you have to look at this and say, which one of these actually best meets the need of the product I'm trying to build? Mm -hmm. I have to ask a question about that. Uh, I'm hoping that the farmers that are listening to our program have picked up on two lessons. One is blockchain and the ideas behind crypto are apparently in their world already. Yes. And you mentioned it was being used in the gaming world. So everybody get a hold of your 12-year-old <laughs> and, and have them explain whatever else you don't get on this. Yep. Okay. So... Um, We've talked about cryptocurrencies, and we've talked about blockchains. What's the next step? Sorry, I'm... Did you want to talk about the the Cambridge Center for Alternative I, Finance? I could. Um, one, of the, one of the things about crypto coins, everybody thought that they would be a really secretive way to move money around. Hmm. And uh, there, is a, there are two things that go into this. Actually, the, the Cambridge Center is about energy and you've already hinted that you guys are a zero carbon uh, enterprise but at the same time we know that the amount of energy being used for mining right now exceeds the complete the total use of energy by or electricity at least by Argentina I think it is so as we use more and more energy it's becoming more and more problematic and I know that part of the reason you picked North Dakota was because you were going to be able to capture that energy coming out and reuse it in a way that meant that you weren't just burning electrons for the sake of crypto. You were also using the heat. Is that basically what your strategy is? Yes. Are you going to be net zero? Yes. Yeah, so Bit, Bit Zero's <coughs> whole focus on this is to be net zero carbon, uh, but it's it's bigger than that. So whether you're on one side or the other on the the climate conversation and those kind of things. I mean, if you step back and say, let's, let's depoliticize the whole climate change conversation and let's just talk about wasted assets, all right? We are putting carbon into the air. That is waste. There is value that can be used in that carbon that provides a huge amount of, of real positivity for people and industry. Right? So instead of putting carbon in the air, I want to be able to put it in the soil. I want to be able to use it in our different aspects of agriculture. I want to be able to use it in fertilizers. We want to be able to use it in systems and places that it provides added value. And that's how a zero carbon displacement organization works. Right, So we're not 
we're not uh, it's funny because we immediately get painted politically by the nature of the company but i would say you got to step back and go this is not about politics this is about ensuring that you're not wasting and i don't know anybody who would ever disagree with that right why do we want to waste anything especially when we can help feed people better or we can lower the cost of food products i mean that's super important to the the entire world today uh, to be able to enhance the environments is just massively important we all live here right so let's just stop the waste and forget the politics put the politics aside let the politicians have that conversation just stop the waste use it as a real product exactly all of us that grew up with parents who had grown up on farms remember having them yell at us would shut the door were you born in a barn <laughs> yes <laughs> as if being born in a barn made you wasteful of energy and everything. eat everything on your plate yep yeah exactly <laughs> uh you're listening to Public Policy this week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. We've been discussing with Sean Riley, among other things, cryptocurrencies and blockchain. These are complex topics. We know from our discussion what cryptocurrencies are now, what they're used for, how they're stored. Let's go back to the origin of cryptocurrency and why the idea for it came about in the first place. The idea for cryptocurrency first emerged in 1983 when American cryptographer David Chome published a paper outlining an early form of anonymous cryptographic electronic currency that could be sent untraceably and in a manner that did not require centralized entities like banks or the government. Bitcoin first emerged in 2008 when the person or group of people using the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto published a Bitcoin paper describing the functionality of a Bitcoin blockchain network. This was in response to the real estate and then financial institution failures beginning in 2007. Nakamoto essentially wanted a system where buyers, sellers, and investors could make transactions without a centralized authority, essentially person-to-person, no banks or government. Sean, you recently joined BitZero. What is the appeal of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin for you and for BitZero? And then you talked a little bit about this earlier, but what are the benefits of Bitcoin over traditional currencies? Yeah, and I say right now it's, it's very similar to what I was talking about before. This is the evolution of money. Right. right. This is the next place that we can go to that will help utilitize our dollars and utilitize the money system that we have now we we talked a little bit about the fed and we talked a little bit about fiat when you look at a worldwide basis there's a huge opportunity today to think about money differently right because constantly people are asking about the question of national debts and where's this going and what's the inflation going to and and all of those things are out there well Cryptocurrency gives us new tools to be able to evaluate those economic conditions and really to help us think about the possibilities out there in in really a 21st century way instead of what we've been forced to do. I'm not picking on any of it. Over the last 10,000 years of knowledge, we're still thinking about finances in a very legacy way most of the time. And crypto gives us a really a, a, a much better way to think about the future of money. Okay, 
we've kind of talked a little bit about uh, the blockchain and we've talked about cryptocurrencies and how they make up uh, a new environment for exchange of information and locking. I'm curious about a couple things, but um, some of the things that it's used for are supply chain management and smart contracts mm -hmm. and digital identity and then some banking and finance. So as you very, I mean, you use the credit card analogy to explain a lot of what goes into the way we transition from having to carry a bushel of soybeans to go buy a piece of meat to being able to carry a piece of plastic Mm -hmm. is trust. Mm -hmm. And so is Bitcoin, you're thinking then, is the next step in that evolution of trust? And it's much more, I mean, it's going to be impossible in some sense to, uh, what's the word, uh, to fake it and, and print your own Bitcoin. Yeah. You can't, I can print my own $10 bill and I can get it past a couple people. But I <laughs> well, well, I would advise against that. Well, yeah, well, yeah probably, this is not an advice now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is not financial advice, but I do not suggest that you counterfeit. So, right. um, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, so trust is one of the amazing things with cryptocurrency. Now, this is where we're going to run into all kinds of conversations around this. Uh, given some of the failures this last year of FTX and Alameda and Celsius and those kind of organizations, that shook trust in in the ways of the uh, general public looking at the market space. But the coins themselves, the blockchain itself, the technology itself is basically, it is as high trust as you can get. Um, we have absolute verification of a coin. We have absolute verification of its creation. We have absolute verification of what the volume is. So I can go out into a web page today and say, how many Bitcoins are available? And it'll tell me, you know, 19,185,000, et cetera, et cetera. I get the precise numbers. Um, we can see those things and have a vastly higher audit capacity, right? When we look at fiat currencies, there's very, very few fiat currencies that have ever been audited. Uh, it is very difficult to say what their true volumes are. What are their true worths? We, you know, we go through inflationary and deflationary cycles like we do because of that that lack of transparency or lack of knowledge in that space. So cryptocurrency, while there are bad actors out there and there are companies that have problems, and you hear about people getting their wallet stolen in a crypto wallet and those kind of things, but Bitcoin has never been hacked. And the technology that's there is as high end on the trust scale as as we have available to us today. Okay. If if I uh, wanted to to mine Bitcoin myself, I would have to have what size? Uh, can I do it on my old Atari? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of computing power does that take now? So you can you can mine on basically anything, but then the question is is what's your return on investment? So you need to be able to today get into the, the petaflops, or teraflops, petaflops kind of data, if possible. Um, you know, you need to be able to have a lot of processing power to be able to turn a profit on this. Uh, last year, the city of Dallas came out and said, hey, we're going to mine Bitcoin, right? And a year later, people were like, cool, how many Bitcoin did you get? And they said, none. 
And we're like, okay, so what's your mining rigs look like, right? And this is a big public discussion. Well, apparently they only had one miner, right? Um, most organizations now, they're in the thousands of miners to be able to get a handful of Bitcoins. That's the nature of the tool. And it's been designed to be that way. It's harder and harder to be able to mine, which makes part of the stability in the price and makes the stability in the volume and stability in the economics of the coins. Okay. So continuing on the theme of the dishonesty of like FTX and Alameda and what they did. Let, um, let's talk about that for a second. You want to talk some more yeah, about that? Yeah, let's talk okay. a little bit about that. Um, you just mentioned FTX and Alameda Research. They, of course, collapsed due to insolvency, insolvency in November of last year. For our listeners, FTX was a cryptocurrency exchange and Alameda a cryptocurrency trading firm run primarily by Sam Bankman-Fried. He was subsequently arrested for conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit commodities and securities fraud, money laundering, among other charges. He misappropriated billions of dollars of customer funds. In your opinion, what went so wrong there at FTX and Alameda? I mean, investors or speculators lost tens of billions of dollars. And then, does this hobble cryptocurrency and maybe scare potential investors away? Or perhaps, does this now provide an opportunity for companies that have stronger principles related to integrity? Yeah, so when so for, first I'll say uh, I'm going to follow the American principle of innocent till proven guilty. I'll let the court tell us any of the aspects of this case, sure. right? But what we do know, we did have an organizational collapse there. That organizational funds, most of those funds are gone, and that's absolutely, uh, absolutely an impact to the overall market, hmm. right? And it does absolutely impact the market where people's confidence are. Well, if this one can collapse, what about that one, right? And they'll look at FTX, and then they'll look at all these other exchanges out there. Sure. And they're asking those same questions. Now, from a from this this aspect that I've heard, many people have asked me, said, "Well, you know, Bitcoin's just used by ransomware, and, and even Bill Gates said something like this that it's only used by criminals and blah blah blah." And I'm like, you know, I think the U.S. dollar has been used for a lot of that, too, right? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I mean, let's just be transparent. I mean, money is not evil. Money is used for transactions, and if there's an easy way to transact it, there's all sorts of things there. Um, we are building confidence in the system because of the trust in the technology itself. All of these overarching organizations, whether it be exchanges and trade markets and those kind of things, you know, that's, that's going to be up to the regulators and the enforcement of regulation to determine whether or not those rules need to change. Now, you just listed a whole bunch of things that SBF was charged with. Yeah. So all that stuff was illegal before this happened, sure. right? So is new regulation necessary? Maybe. But it already broke a whole bunch of laws, so I, I don't know necessarily that new regulation would have fixed this problem. Mm. Uh, perhaps, but at this point, again, I'll let the justice system get to a point of saying who's guilty of what, and then we go back and determine what regulation would be would have best superseded that. But there's there's certainly impacts to the overall perspective of of the industry, but again, this technology is still sound and 
people are still investing. And in fact, if you look at the cryptocurrency markets in the last 60 days, you know, they've come up almost 25% uh, because people sat back and said, wow, is this going to have a ripple effect? They pulled their money out and now they're going, oh, what? Bitcoin's still sound. The technology around is still sound. I'm going to put my money back in again. Mm -hmm. So it, it, we really are seeing people go through this. And this isn't a whole lot different than if you go back in the 1980s, right? It was the savings and loan scandal. Sure. So, and, you know, and you had Enron. And I mean, people for some reason act like if you're on a new technology, somehow this is a new problem that's never existed before. Well, I mean, all of us could sit here and name off a hundred organizations that have done the wrong thing for 200 years, right? Uh, that aspect is not related to the technology. The technology is still sound, right? Nobody said all banks are bad because of the savings and loan scandal. They said this bank is bad and this bank needed to be moderated differently. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the same situation we sit in crypto today. We, we have all <clears throat> seen the, the old Hollywood movie where the ransom is paid in small bills because the bad guy figures they can't be traced. Yeah. At the same time, we know that drug dealers measure their money by weighing the truck that the $100 bills are in because it's easier to weigh the truck and make a guess, and that's close enough for their work. One of the early uh, conceits about Bitcoin was it was completely hidden. Nobody could find out what you were doing, but it turns out that the, the forensics on tracking the exchanges has progressed quite a ways. Uh, who was the guy that was it? Um, let's see if I've got a name here. It wasn't the FTX, but somebody was selling drugs. His last name was Ulbricht. I can't think of his first name. Ulbricht. Okay, yeah, there we go. And he was selling prison drugs for that. Bitcoin. And he thought he was untrackable. Yeah, so, so probably the most famous one in the last few years has actually been the Silk Road. And a group called the Silk Road was... Uh, I would say cornerstoned out of Australia. They weren't really based anywhere because this was um, a collection of organized crime using the Silk Road. And on the Silk Road, there was everything from child pornography to human trafficking to software theft. I mean, there's just all these different things out there. And all of this different stuff that was out there. And there was this belief that they were untrackable because they were using cryptocurrency as a management tool for their financials. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's not really how most of this works today, right? Uh, can you be can you be private? Yes, right. Can you get away with crimes like that anymore in these environments? No, right. No. Uh, can I privately buy something so that no one knows that I bought it? So I buy, you know, hey, I really really love these chocolates that are not available in the United States, those little egg things with a toy in it and is it illegal here? And hey, I want to buy them from Europe and have them shipped here. And can I privately do that? Yeah, I can. Mm -hmm. But can I go and rip off hundreds of millions of dollars and move it around in accounts and have them not be seen anymore? Eh, not really. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really comes down to the law enforcement organization attention. Can they can they get attention on it fast enough to move it? And, and a lot of these things really can be tracked down. Very cool. Yeah, the uh, the the idea that we can hold ransomware and get paid in Bitcoin and just disappear with that is not true then. And and so we're able to track it down. Okay, all you criminals out there, hope you're paying attention because we're <laughs> we don't want you doing that crime anymore. No, maybe they should. Then we catch them. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Maybe they should, and then we catch them. Honeypots. Yeah.
Okay. Um, are we? How are we doing? Are we better. I had a couple questions about fiat currencies that are backed by governments, and Bitcoin really isn't a fiat currency, but it behaves a little bit like one. Uh, what are the? What are your thoughts on that interpretation? Yeah. So. When you start getting into fiat currency and what's backed and everything else, I mean, it, there's there's a huge amount of variability to that around mm -hmm. the world, right? Mm -hmm. So we're focusing on the United States because that's where we're sitting, and the U.S. currency tends to be the standard of the world. But when you look at, you know, the British pound and you look at the Japanese yen and et cetera, et cetera, all these coins are managed in or all of these dollars i should say are managed in different methods uh i wouldn't i wouldn't really put bitcoin on the level of a fiat in any sense because bitcoin has an absolute value out of the technology itself right we can again we can prove right. the volume we can prove where it is we can prove how how it was mm -hmm. created who owns it um you have comprehensive auditability that really takes it out of that class and makes it really into a different aspect of, of product. Certainly once I've moved into the Bitcoin world, I don't have to care what the price of Bitcoin is anymore because I'm doing all my work in Bitcoin. Uh, the only people that have to worry about that would be the ones that want to take the Bitcoin and go back into the dollar world. Is there any future for a isolated group of people that are just going to do Bitcoin only, kind of like the old barter clubs in Ohio? Yeah, I, I think that's very possible. I mean, so they may be Bitcoin only. They may be other tokens only, depending on their purposes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of potential for that. And uh, the real question is going to be is, is transacting from your digital currencies into your other currencies. One of the amazing things of cryptocurrency, so one that hasn't been mentioned at all would be Litecoin. Uh, I've used Litecoin to be able to send money to other countries, right? Send send my brother money in New Zealand, right? So I can do that super, super fast. I can send him 50 bucks in 15 seconds versus when I try to do that through an old school banking transaction, it, I mean, it was multiple days, right? You know, hey, let's send a wire, you know, wire the money. I mean, it's several days mm -hmm. versus a cryptocurrency. I can send it anywhere in the world in a very short amount of time. That is one of the things that will will still keep the fiat conversation going for a long time is how am I actually transactioning locally, not only just across cyberspace. Cool. We've got a few minutes left with our guest, Sean Riley. What's the difference between cryptocurrency and digital currency? What is a central bank digital currency, and are there dangers to a CBDC, privacy, data breaches, perhaps opening the door to government, knowing more personal information, social credit scores? Yeah, so there's all kinds of, that's, um, that's an immense question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when people talk about digital currencies and cryptocurrencies, um, most of the time they're talking about the same thing. Not always. Sometimes there's different things. You know, there's, um, you know, you can have your your PayPal methodology, which is based on an American fiat, ninety nine percent of the time, um, and some people refer that to a digital currency. Sometimes, you know, when you're doing your your phone apps to be able to pay, sometimes they'll refer that to a digital currency, and it's not a crypto. But most of the time when they say cryptocurrency versus digital currency, they're, eh, they tend to be 
they 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 overlap a lot, mm-hmm. right? Um, again, the technical people listening to this will go, "Hey, wait a minute! It's you know, it's, it's, it's very distinctively different things." I'm like, "Yeah, but the general public, they overlap all this stuff." When you get into CBDCs, so central bank digital currencies, um, you know, this is something that I would hope we would put a huge amount of thought into. Mm. Uh, CBDCs as a comprehensive replacement. So we saw China attempt to be able to launch a CBDC model this last year. Uh, People are very worried about the utilization of that type of currency for tracking everything you do and then enforcing that upon social norms. So I bought a hot dog today. Well, I'm overweight. I'm a bad person. Now I get, you know, cut for that somewhere in the process because it's trackable that I bought a hot dog when I shouldn't, I should have had the salad. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that's what people are worried about. I really, I think that level of control and is, could it be done? Sure, but when you're talking, <laughs> the the capacity to get there is unreal, right? Um, I don't think the Western governments are going to stand for that. I don't think people will stand for that kind of tracking. Now, can a digital coin, digital currency in conjunction with a paper currency have value? I think it certainly can, mm-hmm. right? I would love to be able to just straight send, you know, I just mentioned that sending some money to my brother in New Zealand. I'd love to be able to just go, hey, here's my $10 American and done. And it goes there in five seconds. And, you know, and it costs me nothing to do it. Um, There are opportunities there. But the things that people worry about, I think there's a lot of valid concerns. And we have to be very aware with our politicians that they stay open to the idea that, people want to be able to transact freely, that we want to be able to have a free economy, that we want to be able to do all these things. And it's and it shouldn't be just about the, you know, the Chinese social credit score or the aspect of controlling your health or those kind of things. It should also be about encouraging innovation. We want to keep these doors open so that we can continue to grow as a society and grow as a country. The United States is the perfect example. This country is where it is because we continue to grow, we continue to prosper, we continue to invest in new things, we continue to try things, fail, learn from it, and try something else, mm. right? And as long as the CBDC allows for that, I don't have a problem with it. But that is something we're going to have to be very, very conscious of as it evolves. Mm. That, that issue of social score like China is trying to implement, and we've seen some politics around that in New York where they wanted to put an extra tax on large uh, sugary drinks. That's a completely different conversation, but it does bring me to the, the my next question, sort of. Um, I love to ask our guests, can you think of any movie that either gets it right or gets it so wrong that you want to warn people away from it? <laughs> Uh, around technology in general, around cryptocurrency? Or- <laughs> well, cryptocurrency would be nice, but technology, if we, if we can't get to crypto. Oh, wow. You know, there are, there are so many versions of the world out there. And, and the thing I, I think people need to realize, uh, whether you're watching iRobot, where AI is this murderous thing, or Terminator, right? AI is this murderous thing, and... 
you know, that could be another another conversation with you guys sometime in the future if you want to talk about artificial intelligence and all that's changing the world in a whole new way. Let's book that, right? Rich. Um, book that but one. We, you know, happy to come on and talk about that. But AI is a good example as a base technology, right? So cryptocurrency, it gets mentioned in movies, but I don't think they figured out quite how to make it a, you know, a blockbuster yet. Um, <laughs> But but AI is the one that scares the living hell out of people because of the potential, right? And I'll tell you, when we use things like ChatGBT, I just used it this weekend with one of my teams to build out a marketing plan. And you put in a, a, a question that's about eh, four sentences long, and it took us a solid 30 minutes to figure out how to ask the question correctly. Yeah. But once we asked the question correctly, it spit back a full and comprehensive marketing plan for the organization. Jeez. You know, about 35 pages worth of materials. And I'm like, wow, I would have paid somebody 15 grand for this. You know, um, and we went through it and we're like, yeah, there's some things in here that are dumb, but 95% of it, we're like, this is very valuable. Uh, when people go out there and they want to go see movies, if you want to see... Uh, the wrong side is Terminator, right? We're not going to mm -hmm. see cool machines that become self-aware that come and kill us. I love the movie, but anyway, but <laughs> still. Um, you know, but realize that these technologies are still controlled by us. There's still a huge amount of material that we're building, that we're understanding, that we're taking care of. Um, yeah, um, you know, those other great movies, The Matrix, no, we're not going to be turned into a battery if for no other reason, simply because we don't actually put off heat when you need fusion. Nobody needs fusion and human batteries. Just fusion good enough. Um, but, uh, no, it's, from a movie standpoint, uh, watch the movie and then realize the technology's nowhere near as crazy as what the movies like to tell you. I know. I have to comment on chat GPT. I just sent a note to my medical team. Hmm. And I said, Dr. Chat GPT says this. And I gave them the paragraph. And it, it had to do with blood sugar mm -hmm. and having the flu, and that'll spike your blood sugar. And I said, that's, you know, and I sent that as part of my conversation with them. And I know that doctors hate it when patients come in and have talked to Dr. Google. Well, they're going to really hate it when they've talked to Dr. <laughs> Chat GPT. All right, well, um, Joe? Yeah, we like to give our guests the last word on our program. Sean, what are some conclusionary thoughts? What did we miss? You can talk about cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or BitZero or yeah, any so of the new projects you're working on. As, as I said, this could be a this could be a week long seminar, and um, and again, the technical people are all screaming that I didn't talk about X Y Z, but hopefully, the non technical people out there got something out of the conversation. Uh, you know, when it comes to what we're doing, you know, BitZero has this amazing capability right now changing the way an energy is is produced to be able to manage a data center to capture that heat to grow food those are the kind of things that we would love to be able to see in a much much broader way across the country and the world right is uh, think differently so that we can really make the world a better place and ultimately these technologies yeah they are scary uh, i live in tech all day every day i have since i was a very small kid so this stuff doesn't frighten me as much, but I definitely understand how people get there. But the reality is at the end of the day, this technology is improving our lives across the board. And there will be people who will say, oh yeah, well, my 12 year old never ever looks away from their cell phone and they don't know how to talk to somebody and they have no social skills and, 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 and I go, 
Yeah, and for every one of those, I also can say how many people get to work because they have a washing machine and a dishwasher and they have a car and, right, I mean, if you go back, again, this is a TED Talk that I did a few years ago, but in 1908, when people were scared to death of the new machines, right, they're like, oh, my God, all our jobs are going to go away. Nobody's going to have a workforce. And if you took today's model of newspaper and you stuck it in 1908, it would have said 96% of jobs will be gone in the next 100 years. And you know what? They would have been right. Hmm. But those 96% of jobs turned into all new jobs that are a hell of a lot better work, right? We used to have 100 people with a shovel to dig a ditch. Now we have one person with a backhoe, right? And what did those other 99 people do? We taught them new skills. We taught them new things, right? And this is where, regardless if it's cryptocurrency or AI or all these cool new technologies that are out there, uh, when you talk about 3D printing and genomics, and I, I can go on this <laughs> stuff forever, but we don't need to be afraid of the technology. We need to embrace what it can do, and we need to realize that we're creating better value for people and societies. And that's what I would really encourage everybody listening to really think about. Where can people learn more about BitZero? Uh, so BitZero right now, our website has a big green uh, link on it, and there's not a whole lot else there. <laughs> but uh, uh, give it uh, give it some time as we're uh, standing up all our operations in America. You'll you'll hear about us, no problem. <laughs> well, this has been another great and interesting conversation. We're going to end it here. Sean Riley, thank you for being a part of Public Policy this week. Thank you very much. For our listeners, if you would like to catch Sean's first appearance with us, on our program, he was with us October 28th of 2022 to discuss cybersecurity. It's truly great radio because of our guest. You can find it on the KYMN website or on any of the major podcast services. I'm Bruce Morland, and my co-host today has been Joe Moravchik. Sean, thank you for taking your time from your busy schedule to share your wisdom and experience with us. Uh, the I was going to say, uh, to wrap it up, the objective for public policy this week is to inspire important meaningful, in-depth conversations about public policy challenges and opportunities. This concludes this edition of our program. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, each Friday morning from 10 to 11. Bruce, wrap it up for us. Be sure to join us next Friday's edition of Public Policy This Week, where we'll discuss Minnesota law as it relates to wills and trusts. Have a fantastic Friday afternoon and a superb weekend. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from kymnradio.net.